Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. In the early 1990s, the relationship between the United States and Cuba was tense and terrible. Uh, a, a civilian plane got shot down over Cuban airspace, which made the relationship all the more tense. And in the middle of that crisis, the United States DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, met in the Situation Room to discuss the possible options and repercussions of Cubans shooting down a U.S. civilian plane. So they gathered all of the highest-ranking DIA agents. In the middle of the crisis, one of the analysts stepped out to answer a phone call. Uh, in the middle of this tense, crazy, uh, heave-the-moment situation, they stepped out. Uh, all hands are on deck for this. There's an international crisis, and someone takes a personal phone call and leaves the room. On top of that, that same analyst left work early that day. The DIA analyst was Anna Montes, and she was an expert um, in Cuban national policies. She was an absolute star in the DIA. She'd been selected repeatedly for promotions and special career opportunities, and they were sh she was showered with accolades and bonuses. Her reviews were glowing. One supervisor said that she was single-handedly the best employee he has ever had. She once got a medal from George Tenet, who was the director of the CIA. Her nickname inside the intelligence community was Queen of Cuba. She knew it all. She was a great asset for the United States. Weeks later, during an internal investigation, Anna Montes was questioned about the phone call she received during this critical moment, during uh, this crisis. She said, well, I don't remember taking any phone call. When asked why she left early that day, she said, well, I'm a really picky eater and I don't eat the cafeteria. We had been there all day in crisis mode, and so I was hungry and tired, so I went home and ate. The internal investigation report said, no worries, no red flags here. There are no spies within the DIA. Anna Montez went back to her office and back to life as usual. All was forgotten and forgiven until one day in 2001, five years later, when it was discovered that every single night, Montez would go home and typed from memory all of the facts and insights she had learned working at the DIA that day and sent that to her handlers in Havana, Cuba. Anna Montez was a Cuban spy. This is a high school photo of Anna Montez. How did this become this? In the 1980s, Montes began to disapprove of the U.S. foreign policy in Latin America, and the Cubans wanted to exploit this. You see, at first they appealed to her good intentions. And they said, you want to help the people in Latin America, this is the way to do so. So they asked for small things, small tasks, that were able to help the oppressed people in Latin America. They convinced her that she was the one doing good. She was deceived. Being a foreign spy working in the U.S. government became an increasingly lonely job. At one point, Cuba sent her a boyfriend, but a mail-order groom proved to ultimately be unsatisfactory. Fake love cannot fulfill the loneliness in our own hearts, and the loneliness continued. In hindsight, there were so many red flags 
for Anna Montes, the queen of Cuba. She studied abroad in college. She kept to herself. She twice requested to be a part of a work travel group in Cuba. She took calls during a crisis. She left early during a crisis, and yet, after an internal investigation, she went on to thrive within the DIA, receiving high honors and recognition by her superiors within the government. In September 2001, Anna Belen Montes was arrested for conspiracy to commit espionage against the United States of America. She has been labeled one of the most damaging spies in U.S. history. How did this become this? Deception. She was deceived. Deceived into thinking she was doing the right thing and that she was serving some higher purpose. And then once deceived, she became the deceiver. She, it became very easy for her to live a life of deception. She became a traitor. Anna Montes deceived her family, her friends, her coworkers, and her country. The deceive will deceive, traitors will betray. We are in week two of our sermon series, Traitors, and we are unmasking three deceptions that we find in our everyday lives. And last week, we unmasked the traitor of religion, and today, we unmask the traitor of social media, something that affects us greatly in our lives, whether we know it or not. 61% of the almost 8 billion people in the world use social media. 88% of the group of ages 18 to 29 use social media on a daily basis. Ages 30 to 49, 84% use social media on a daily basis. Ages 50 to 64, 72% use social media. Might not be on a daily basis, but it's very regular. And then 62% of people over 65. If you're over 65, uh, more than half of you are on social media, okay? Smash that like button. Globally, the average time a person spends on social media per day is two hours and 24 minutes. If someone signed up at 16 and lived to be 70, they would have spent 5.7 years of their life on social media. These are haunting statistics. If you're on social media, and if you're honest, we probably commit more time to it than we should. And we're going to explore some of the negatives, uh, but first, let's get to some of the fun stuff that we may find on social media, okay? Here are some embarrassing Facebook posts from the some 500 million people who have posted just this past year. Here's the first one. Just found out that my birthday is the same day as when I was born. Life is crazy. Aha, hard heart. I love when I can smell a guy's colon as he walks by. Heart eyes emoji. Okay, cologne is a French word, so it's a bit tricky, but this person wasn't the only one who struggled with it. When you hug a guy and you smell his colon, or when you can smell his colon on your pillows even though he's not there. Okay, there's a G and an E in cologne, okay? Spell it correctly. And then finally, so much for calling me, Dad. Let down once again. Comments, uh, who wants to call you Dad? No one. My dad said he was going to call me, but he didn't then the correct way to say it is, so much for calling me, dad. Huh? Who cares? Not your dad, obviously. Okay, these are great. So let's unmask this traitor. Over the past several years, social media has really taken off. It has come out that social media companies have built their platform of research uh, from the gambling industry. 
that the technology that they're using, specifically the way that slot machines are designed to keep users playing and putting in more coins and never moving and staying there for a long period of time, they took the science of casinos and applied it to our cell phones, to our social media. Here's a few of the tactics that they use. Number one, intermittent variable rewards, right? The human brain responds most dramatically to random rewards. So if you push a lever and you get a treat every time, that's not addicting. But if you push a lever and then randomly you are given rewards for that, you remain connected to it. You get hooked on it. Video games are built on this as well. That's why you kept playing Candy Crush. That's why you kept playing Words with Friends. That's why you have your cell phone and you're looking for Pokemon at random places in our city. Okay, another tactic they, they borrowed is called quantification. This is the insertion of numbers into social spaces where numbers are not natural or native. Okay, so now you can quantify your influence by how many followers you have, how many likes you get. It's quantifiable. You can count your friends, you can count their engagement, their likes, their shares, and then you can make value judgments based on numbers. That's not natural, but they're inserted into that to get us hooked. So we begin to evaluate our experiences, not on whether or not it was meaningful, but whether or not we got enough likes enough views. This is not how we experience real life. And the last tactic that they borrowed from casinos is the elimination of stop cues. Okay, There used to be natural enforced breaks in our engagement with certain things, right? There's only certain amount of chapters in a book and then it's over. There's only so many articles in a newspaper. In TV shows, you used to have to wait an entire week to watch the next episode, these are stop cues. In casinos, they know this. That's why there's no windows and no clocks and the lighting is always the same. You don't know if it's day or if it's night. Our social media is built with a bottomless feed. There's no stop cues. You can scroll, 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 and you'll never reach the bottom. There are thousands of engineers and programmers to keep it bottomless for you. Ever notice how when you're scrolling and you get to yesterday and you're like, well, I already saw yesterday. But the algorithms are designed to show you different stuff to keep you hooked. There's no end. If you say, well, I've seen this before, that's a stop cue. And they want to eliminate all of the stop cues. Can you see how there is some deception even built into the technology of social media? There are positives to social media as well. Encouragement, laughter some of the memes, okay, connection to others, entertainment, etc. So technology can certainly be a good thing. Social media can expand and extend relationships. That's what technology does. It expands and it extends. It's like a microphone, right? It expands and extends the human capacity for speech. It's like the automobile. It extends and expands our capacity for transportation. But at a certain point, technology can also distort and obscure the same human capacities. It, it, at some point when you use a microphone, you will get feedback and, the, and it will be distorted. It's too loud. Or in a car, if you get too many cars on the road, you get gridlocked and nobody goes anywhere. All technology has this potential to expand and extend to a point where it is no longer clear and it is distorted. So in what ways has social media distorted or obscured us? 
Here's a few. Social media can make life all about me. And the statistics are out. Our phones are changing us. The media we use and consume from our phones, uh, it affects our brains. And Paul, the apostle, cautions us in Romans 12. He says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul uses some form of the Greek word to think, phroneo, four times in just this one verse. He uses the word hyperphroneo, right? He puts the, the prefix hyper in front of it. It means over or beyond or more than, above. Uh, and it means to think highly or to think more highly than you ought to, than you should. Don't be hyperphroneo. Don't think too highly of yourself. Social media feeds this. When everyone likes our posts, we gain value from it, and we think more highly of ourselves than we should. Paul says, don't do that. We don't need to be doing hyperphroneo. He says, instead, so phroneo. It means safely, boundaries, soberly. Think realistically. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think realistically about yourself. This is the danger for us. And it was a danger in the ancient world as well. Thinking more highly than we should. It's about us. Just even think of the concept of a selfie and social media in our own pages. Like, if I were to invite you over to my house for some barbecue and you come over and as soon as you walk in the house, you realize that every single picture in the house is just me. And at first you'd be like, that's funny. And then you would be disturbed, horribly disturbed. Some of you loves you some self, okay? Now, you may not stare at yourself in a mirror longer than you should, but there are other ways that our selfishness and narcissism plays out. And, face and Facebook and Instagram are clearly catalysts for self-love, for hyperphroneo thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. And if we're caught up in love of self, then we're not caught up in love of neighbor or love of God. And Jesus offers us a better way, focusing in on loving God and loving others. More often than not, it's, the, it's not the things that we post that are destructive to our minds. It's the things that other people post that are destructive to our minds. We feel bad about ourselves because I'm looking at their highlight reel, right? And that brings us to number two. Don't compare your actual inside to someone's virtual outside. We display perfectly edited photos, but it's not reality. Social media is a Photoshopped version of ourselves. It's, it's the Photoshopped version of the Joneses. Whatever family that you think is perfect, it's a Photoshopped version of them. We end up comparing our real lives to their Instagram life. And that's not reality. That's not so phroneo. That's not thinking realistically. And it becomes this breeding ground for envy. Proverbs 14, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. 1 Peter 2, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not boast. It's not proud. Don't envy. These are things that are, we're consumed with online. 
Envy is just this little sneaky sin, but it messes with our soul, right? Some of us are caught up in envy online, whether we realize it or not. And it makes us less pleasant to be around. Because looking at the Joneses looking good and having everything nicer than I do, I'm going to allow that to affect my mood, my family, my soul. And I really feel like that's true for some of us in this, just watching right now, whether you're listening in your car or, or watching on your phone or in front of a computer screen or you've got your headphones on in a walk, that, that God is saying that to you. Don't let someone else's Instagram life affect your own life, your soul, your family. God wants to heal you of that. And why when we see a photo online of a good-looking person, maybe like at a nice restaurant or something, we never think, good for her. Yeah, I'm happy for them. That's not what we think. And as Christians, we can't get all high and mighty about this. We need to learn to be happy over the good fortune of others. Knowing, fully knowing that their Instagram life probably doesn't necessarily reflect their actual life, but we should have joy at the, at the fortune of others, not the misfortune of others. Or perhaps that's not you. Maybe you're the person doing the bragging, uh, posting, sorry, sorry. Bragging and posting are vir virtually the same thing. Uh, there is a real fine line between bragging and posting. And if we were to pause for a moment, even just a moment, we'd realize that more often than not, we're not posting, we're bragging. And we can all agree that nobody likes a bragger, but social media offers an amazing alternative. Have you heard of this? This is called, it's called the humble brag, okay? Are you familiar with it? It's a boast wrapped in humility or complaint, okay? Here's a few examples. It's so hard to get Jason out of the house today. All he does is want to play the piano. So she reels you in with this vulnerable post of her kids not listening, and then she throws in, by the way, my kid's a musical prodigy. The humble brag. Or the caption might read, this place is beautiful, hashtag blessed. But what we mean is, look, I'm on vacation, and I can afford it, and you can't, na-na-boo-boo, -boo, stick your head in doo-doo. We do this almost unconsciously. We don't even know we're doing this on social media. But the humble brag has been around for a long time, long before the invention of social media, even cell phones. Consider the opening quote from Jane Austen's 1813 Pride and Prejudice. Nothing is more deceitful than the appearance of humility. It is often only carelessness of opinion and sometimes an indirect boast. The humble brag will recognize that it's hard to be liked and be a show off at the same time. So the humble brag occurs when people try to elicit both sympathy and admiration. Unfortunately, it has the opposite results. We've become experts at appearing better than we actually are. And this doesn't just affect how people view us, it affects our spiritual life. I read a story of a daughter praying before the meal, and it was a sweet prayer, a beautiful prayer. And after the prayer, she looked at mom and said, Mom, aren't you going to post that? There's something off about this, right? Like, it, it, it's not just me. Social media is a great way to pretend to love others. So you like a post, but what have you actually done? I don't want us to be a church that is trying to convince each other that we're better than we actually are. That's exhausting. Relationships filled with posturing and pretense will destroy community, and the way of Jesus is always the way of vulnerability and transparency.
Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. The author, Brendan Manning, wrote this, The temptation of the age is to look good without being good. Read it again. Highlight that. Copy and paste that. Post that to Instagram. And lastly, it's called Facebook, not Soapbox. Now this is where we, things are going to get a little bit more dicey. Okay, We're going to get a little sensitive. I know that many of us on social media think that it is our duty to state our opinions, make sure that everyone knows our opinions, and try to convince everyone else that their opinions are wrong and that our opinions are right. And it's true. You can post whatever you want. It is your page. But I contend that what you think is happening is actually not what's happening. What you think you're accomplishing is actually doing the opposite. Titus 3.9 says this, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Listen, you are not going to change anyone's mind by posting something on Facebook. You are just going to stoke the fire of the people who already agree with you. Social media is a traitor. These phones, th these screens, the things that we use to consume with them, they can drive us crazy. And let's get really practical. For some of us, there's only one remedy. Now, I'm going to blow your mind with this. Some of you guys don't know that your phone can do this, but there's these, these buttons on your phone where if you push them together and then you swipe on top, your phone turns off. It's crazy. I know it'll blow your mind, uh, but it's, it's actually on there, on every phone. You can turn them off. For some of us, it's just too much. You're praying for the peace of God, but God doesn't have any place to put the peace of God in your life because you don't have any free moments. Your mind is too distracted to receive what God wants to give you. So turn it off, shut it down, take a break. I read an article this week written by a mom of two young kids, and she decided to do an experiment. For 30 minutes, she was going to be in the same room as her two boys and not have her cell phone at all. Let them play, just watch and observe them. And she wanted to note how many times one of the boys, or both of them, looked at her for approval to see if she, she was actually watching them. She decided she would make a little mark on a piece of paper to mark every time they looked back at mom to see if she was paying attention to them. In 30 minutes, there were 28 marks. Almost once every single minute, her boys would look and see if mom was paying attention to them. She wrote about what would happen had she not done this. 28 times my angels would have wondered if the World Wide Web was more important than they were. 28 times my boys would not have received the attention that they were longing for from their mom. And then at the end of the article, she wrote, please send this to all your friends on Facebook. Okay, kind of defeats the purpose. I read of a school in Houston that posted this as parents were picking up their children. You are picking up your child. Get off your phone. Your child is happy to see you. Are you happy to see your child? We have seen children trying to hand their parents their work they completed, and the parent is on the phone. We have heard a child say, Mommy, 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 and the parent is paying more attention to their phone than their own child. It's appalling. Get off your phone. Wow. 
You have to choose between life and fiction. You have to choose between real life and virtual life. The two are very close, but they actually never touch. They are two very, very different things. Now, once again, social media is not all bad. Some of you have found our church in a greater connection to God and become better parents and better uh, husbands and wives and, and better people, uh, better followers of Jesus because of uh, ministry that you found online through social media. That's an amazing, beautiful, good thing. Some of you have built relationships and shared pictures of your children and your family too, family who lives far away. And there are so many good, informative, entertaining things that we find on social media. It's not all bad. But if it doesn't move us into real life, to become better people in real life, better friends on real life, um, then perhaps it's a traitor. Perhaps we are deceived and we spend way too much time on it. And instead of us controlling our phones, now we really feel like they become our handler and they're controlling us. So let's unmask social media. Let's see it for the traitor that it can be. Let us move away from a virtual life to a real life. From hyperphroneo, thinking more highly of ourselves, to sophroneo, thinking realistically. And may it move us into the real world, into real love, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you so much that you call us to engage with real people in real life. So God, thank you for the ways that technology it helps us do that in a greater way. But God, we repent of the ways where it has... Um, taken more than it's given. And God, we pray for clarity and how you want us to move forward. I pray, Jesus, that um, our social media would reflect you and your love. So God, may we become less judgmental, less prideful, less narcissistic, um, less envious, and more loving. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. I want to say this in, in two weeks is Prodigal's fourth birthday, and we're going to have an absolute blast. It's 10 a.m. September 19th. We're going to have um, like bounce house and huge obstacle course for kids. We have a bunch of new Prodigal merch, including hats like this and shirts like this, uh, and there's some writing on the back. We've got a lot of new things, and we're going to have some food, we're going to have some ice cream, um, and we're just going to celebrate all that God has done in and through Prodigal Church these first four years, and we cannot wait. So we're going to invite you in person um, to come and celebrate with us, and next week is the finale of our Traders Sermon Series, and so we cannot wait. We've got some special creative elements for that. Don't miss it online or in person. We can't wait to see you next week. Grace and peace, and peace in the Middle East, and in New York, and in the South, in Jesus' name. You're still a traitor. You're still a traitor.